Hello, welcome back to the program. Today, it's a good one. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Smink. So we talked about all things caregiving, TBI, emotions, existential things, talking about faith. It really was a rich conversation. So for my survivors, for you, there's a lot to get out of this episode. And if you have a caregiver in your life, please share it with them because I think that you can get so much out of this episode, particularly we go deep y'all. So it's, it's juicy. I think you're going to like it. So let me just tell you a little bit about Dr. Edward Smink. He's the founder of the soul of caregiving and the author of the same titled book, the soul of care caregiving, a caregiver's guide to healing and transformation. He holds an associate degree from Newton Junior College and a BA in psychology from Boston College, as well as a PhD in depth psychology, which is, I didn't really ask him about the depth psychology. I'm not quite sure what that's about, but he seems pretty deep. So I could, I could see that if there's a parallel though there, then I would make it. Also was a healthcare provider, so a registered nurse. And there's so many layers, I think from his experience we can learn from. We talk about cultural taboos regarding getting support for caregivers and survivors. So buckle up, because it's gonna be great. Also, a little bit about my services. So I do have a group for concussion survivors starting in January. That will be a psychotherapy group. So it is in the 34 states that I am licensed in. It will be a telehealth group starting on January 11th on Wednesdays. So if you would like, and for more information about that group, you can jump on a call with me. So just go over to tbitherapist.com and book a call and you'll get me. That's tbitherapist.com to book a call. I also provide one-on-one -on -one services for psychotherapy, coaching, and for neuropsychological evaluation. So let's get right to the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hello, Dr. Smink. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. It's great to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, and thank you for this opportunity to share some of the wisdom I've learned as a caregiver. Awesome. So if you can, can you tell us a little bit about your caregiving story? I've been in healthcare for almost 45 years. I started as a nursing assistant and then became a registered nurse. And then I was spending a lot of time at the bedside with the patients and I, I decided I would become a chaplain. So I became a chaplain. And then as I continued to uh, develop in my own career, I decided that I would um, be an executive leader. And so I kept on moving up the ladder. I was involved with mission uh, and, and formation. I was involved with spirituality, ethics, end of life care, uh, and community health. And so that's the span of my 
almost, I, I want to say almost 50 years. So I, I look younger than I am. And I always say, look at me. <laughs> and in the course of that uh, experience, I experience compassion fatigue and burnout. Mm-hmm. So I want to offer a sense of hope that it's possible to regain your interior self again that seems to be clouded and lost when when you're overwhelmed and i have a story about that because when i was when i was in the midst of 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 the burnout i had this wonderful wonderful uh coach he was a he was a therapist a psychotherapist he was kind and gentle and and compassionate and i said to him you know how how long is this going to happen? How long will it, it will it help? Do I have to worry about getting back to normal? He said, "Well, how long were you in the conflict?" Mm. And I said, three years." He said, "I'll take you three years to get over it, but step by step, you will find more and more the ability to make the choices that you couldn't make because the cloud." of compassion fatigue came over you or the cloud of burnout came over you. And exactly three years later, I I, um, realized I was on the other side of the bridge. I started coaching. I mean, I started um, seeing him three times a week. He said, I want to see you three times a week. And that became then twice a week and then once a week and then every other week and every... a couple times a month and then once a month, etc. And what I felt deeply was he was holding me in the crisis until I was able to make decisions by myself. That's so against our culture today. Our culture says, do it yourself. But if you if you're so overwhelmed, you can't you can't make the choices. You need to know that there's someone there that's that's facilitating and holding you. I use the example of when a child is hurting and runs to his or her parent, what what does a parent do? The parent reaches out their arms and holds them. And so a coach will hold the person in, in the crisis until they're able to make those decisions. And I remember him saying to me, when you become overwhelmed, Choose what the, is the simplest thing to do. You know, 30 years later, I still use that premise. If I feel overwhelmed and I go, well, I have this, 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 this. Okay, I go, stop. What's the easiest thing to do? And sometimes it's to take a nap. <laughs> it's just, sometimes it's to walk the dog, you know, or take a walk or go to the gym. But when I do that, I get refreshed and I'm able to make more choices. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, the, that's the story of my, my uh, burnout. In fact, I was co-directing a, a retreat for caregivers and with two other people. And right during the, just before the session, I was cooking spaghetti sauce because it was a potluck. And I always say, il mio cuore italiano, my heart's Italian. (laughs) And right in the middle of it, I broke down. And I said, I can't take this anymore. 
And I went to the directors and I said, I have to leave. They said, you can't leave. You're co-directing this retreat. I said, I have to leave. And I left. But there was something in me that, and I call it a special grace, or you you could use whatever uh, sense you want, a movement of, of the spirit or whatever. And I called this person, Leo, and I said, I need help. And so when you get to that point, can you allow yourself to listen to what's going on within yourself and to be able to make the choices that can move you in the direction of healing and transformation? Yeah, that's so good. I think there's so many things to take out of there. Uh, choosing the easy thing, I, I think I often talk about ease and what can we do to like breathe in ease today or think about having some ease. And oftentimes I work with people that are very overwhelmed too, uh, TBI survivors. So uh, I think this, this topic is really important that you're talking about because there's often not any attention on the caregiver. So the attention is on the injured person for this podcast. It's someone who's had a concussion or a TBI and I would say for a caregiver with this specific injury, the caregiver has, maybe from my perspective, less support because it's not a socially prescribed kind of progression with health, getting better. So I think maybe we can say, okay, your your mom and your mom fell, she broke her leg, or she has dementia. We kind of have a concept of that, but a recovery from a concussion or a TBI, I think a lot of people don't have that concept and then there's less support for the caregiver. So I'm wondering if you have any just thoughts or ideas for folks who may be struggling with finding that support or feeling feeling compassion fatigue or burnout around the caregiving. I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge that you need help. And secondly, to see where you can get that help. I had a client who had a, whose parent, uh, father had Alzheimer's and he was living with her. And she was saying, I'm exhausted. I wish I could have some help. And so I said, have you, uh, uh, have you asked anyone in your household? And she said, well, my husband keeps asking me, do, do you need help? And I go, duh, why don't, you ask, why don't you ask him? So there is an element that sometimes we feel we're totally responsible, and it's a real control issue that we can we allow someone else to help us? And mm-hmm. so just that, that was just a simple example that she had someone there in the house. You might ask children, you might ask, uh, if you go to a particular church or synagogue or mosque, can you can you ask someone there? Usually, they have support for uh, people who are sick. And so, again, it's it's the it's and there's also social agencies that are available for you know, like for seniors uh, or younger people that you can they that can support you. There's respite care. You know, can you can you allow yourself to enter a program where you can go out for a day or a half day? So those are are 
different aspects that you can get involved with. But again, it, it boils down to, can you allow yourself to get help? And some people say, well, I don't want them to come into my house. And, and, then, and then you would say, okay, keep on going the way you are, and it's probably going to kill you. So you have a choice. You have a choice of, of, you know, who then is going to take care of that particular child or spouse that you're taking care of. Oh, okay. So, well, my house isn't clean enough. You know, there's, there's so many excuses. But it boils down to, so what? You know, so what if you, your house isn't the best it can be? You know, or mm -hmm. you left the dishes, you know, in the sink because you were so busy caregiving. Who cares? Right. Yeah. And I think that you're talking a little bit about the culture of like, you can do all things like you're, you know, you can do it all. Just, just keep going. And it doesn't work, especially when I think caregiving hits and you really, you, life kind of has this pivot where there was a before caregiving, after caregiving, much like I talk about with like before TBI and after TBI. I think for the caregiver, it's a similar kind of thing. Their life just changes. And then that's this new phase of life that they have to kind of figure out. And I'm wondering off of that, do you have any ideas for people like at different phases? So it sounds like, and I would imagine you would need a lot more kind of like crisis help support because there's a lot of overwhelm, like just trying to find the care for the individual if they need maybe 24 hour care or whatever support they need. So what have you found with regard to just immediately what someone needs and then later phases maybe? Well, I think you're you're right when you say that you know the first the first response is is often shock. You know, uh, I was with my uh, child uh, yesterday, and he was in this car accident, or my uh, spouse fell and hit his head, and he's in a semi coma. Immediately what happens is, and this is very difficult to understand, is that the relationship changes. And so prior to the accident, there is a communication where, where people are going, you know, together. And there's, there's an equal response. Once the, after the accident occurs, you, you think you can relate the same way, but you can't because you're thrust into being a caregiver. You still may be a mother or a spouse, but it changes. It changes in the sense that it, instead of it being equal, you don't get back what you originally have. It's like mm -hmm. two ships going this way. And so it's important that there's help in recognizing that you're going, what you're really going through is called anticipatory grieving. You're going through that aspect of recognizing there's a change. There's a change in the balance of the relationship. It doesn't mean you still don't love the person. It doesn't mean that you wish that there might be some type of, of uh, healing. Uh, and sometimes that does happen, but oftentimes it doesn't. And so there's that 
there's that first shock and then you're thrust into, I, I like using Joseph Campbell's uh, notion of the heroic journey. You know, that you're, the call is to be a caregiver immediately. And then you're thrust into that. Well, what is that about? And and you constantly are trying to put together the pieces. So it's a very fragile time. Mm-hmm. And my hope, you know, often people will say, Well, let me know if I can help you. Well, the person can't respond how they can help. And so it if if there's family members or siblings or or children, or friends, or parish uh, church people, you need to say, knock on the door and say, here's a dish of food. You need to knock on the door and say, I'm here. Um, let me help you. Uh, knock on the door and say, I'm really sorry. Let, let's, let's, how can I l- listen to what you want to say? I want to hear, I want to hear your story. Afterwards, you know, once that equilibrium is is changed, then you're able to help the person in the next phase, which is, okay, how do you support yourself during this time? And, and so that's where we talked about earlier of, of struggling to find those different, um, I'll use the word helpers, that, that can, again, help you uh, be less overwhelmed and and set up a, a plan that can that you can also not only take care of that child or spouse but also take care of yourself. That makes a lot of sense. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about you talked about anticipatory grief. I wonder if you can just talk about what that looks like and maybe what that is. I think some people may not understand what that is or what that looks like. Anytime there is a change, there is a sense of of leaving something and going towards something. And so when you're dealing with, and that's just a normal experience. You could could say, at night, I'm leaving the day, I'm going to sleep, and in the morning I wake up and there's there's a new me compared to who I was yesterday. So it could be very simple. But when there's a... Um, a brain injury or any type of a tragic event, what what happens is you feel the symptoms of loss because it's not the same. And you could talk about all the different emotions. I feel sad. I feel angry. You know, why are, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, I've heard stories where, where um, different people would go to the ER after someone had this experience or tragedy, then they would beat on the beat on the on the on the person lying there. How can you do this to me? You know, so again, self-pity comes into it. Uh, and and it's difficult to acknowledge I'm really angry. I'm angry that this has happened. You know, then mm. you go into, oh, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? And that, that's very common in all the different faith traditions that I, I'm, God is causing this. And, and, and then you move to the other aspect of really realizing that 
the sacred or, or the higher power or God has nothing to do with the situation. But that higher power or, or spirituality or, or God can help you in the situation. Mm-hmm. But I think to make that pivot, you know, I find when I've worked with survivors, specifically, they'll, they are very stuck in that, why did this happen to me, you know, why, or, or potentially, and, I, and I, I'm actually a trained Christian psychologist, so I trained in, in a Christian integration program, so, like, issues of faith are very interesting to me, and you can certainly apply that to other faiths, but I often think about how folks will talk about this, this aspect of how did God allowed this to happen? It must be for a reason. And I'm, and when someone says that inside, I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't believe that at all. I can't believe that. Cause I've seen really, I've worked through a lot of tragedy with people. And I think that belief structure is really faulty, but people tell other people that all the time. Exactly. So maybe can you speak to that a little bit from your experience? I think it has, again, it has to do with immediately, this is interesting, immediately you go to the sacred, which is good. Mm-hmm. See that, oh, you're, but you're asking the wrong questions. But the fact that you immediately go to, to the sacred and say, God, you know, why are you doing this to me? The real prayer is, God, I need your help. But I can't stress how common this is in, in our culture, it, it, how no matter what our faith tradition is, it's still, the person still says, am I being punished? Right. And I think without, even without bringing faith into it, I've seen on forums, like, why, I, I can't, I, why has this happened to me? I, I'm stuck in the why, in the why, and the, uh, and I'm, and I would, I will say similar questions. Is that the right question? You know, or can we think about this a different way? You know, or is, is that this, keeping you stuck from healing also is what I, what I ask. Oh, it is. It is very much so because you can play the victim and I call them miseraholics you know, that they need a 12-step program to get out of it. <laughs> but the, the irony is that th- there is that there is that need to allow yourself to express what you really feel. So yeah. right right from the get-go, you know, you know, people would say, oh, you shouldn't talk that way to God. Right. You know, or, but that's that's the the gut feeling. Um, I'm 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 screaming out, you know. And if you read some of the of the Hebrew Psalms, they're they're very much in that direction. They scream out to God, "Why why is this going on?" Or uh, you know, uh, you know, etc. 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 And and so from the from that perspective, it's important that the that the person be heard with with what they want to say. So that's a whole nother oh, yeah. aspect of listening. And, and what are the what are the you know the the talents to be a good listener? 
And so when I go into the cultural taboos, I always say the first one, it has to do with the fact that we don't trust what we're experiencing. What we say is, I shouldn't feel that way, or "Our yeah. God's punishing me, or blah, 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 instead of recognizing there's something there deep inside of me that, that needs to be looked at. So can I trust myself, but can I also trust another person? Right. Or uh, even asking that question, oh, okay, yeah, I'm hearing you. you. You feel like God's punishing you. Say more. Tell me, tell me more about that. And so most people will say like, oh no, what do I say to that? That's really scary. But I, I think we lean in and try to see, oh, what's the emotion behind that? What's the feeling? Where's, you know, where's that leading you? You know, or I'm so sorry you're feeling that. That's, that's hard. And it, it, it's very hard for the coach to allow and to lead the person to try to answer some of those questions. And that's what a good listener is, you know, from the perspective of the coach, that you're you're really listening to what's going on. Yeah. And so the second taboo has to do is don't communicate your story. Don't tell people what you're really feeling. And it has to do again with this sense of, you know, I'm strong enough. And if I don't pull up my weight, people will think I'm I'm weak. Um, I'm letting them down. Yeah. And so, so you can think of uh, first responders. You can think of pr- teachers. You can think of uh, firefighters. Um, you can think of all the different healthcare professionals. You know, the doctor, the nurse, the therapist. The, the the chaplain the 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 pastor you know all all of those are are caregivers and and the bottom line is can you communicate your story and and the story has to deal with i don't want advice i want you to i want to be heard and so the 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 coach or the therapist or any one of those caregivers that I mentioned, do you give space to the person to tell their story so they're heard? And in our culture, it says, don't tell your story. Because caregivers have normal experiences to traumatic events. Mm -hmm. They're normal experiences. It doesn't mean they're mentally ill. It doesn't mean that they're going crazy. They may feel that way. But these are normal experiences to traumatic events. And I, I'll just add 100% yes. And that I've experienced it myself. So as a clinical psychologist, especially someone who works with trauma, you know, I've developed secondary traumatic stress. Exactly. And had to seek my own therapy because of intrusive thoughts and images related to a session with a client. And so I just... For, for my for my healers and my therapists and you know pastors, whoever you are, they're helping other people. Just make sure that you you attune to that yourself and make sure you're getting help. Yeah, there there is a, there is that sense of picking up vicariously, mm-hmm. and 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 um, Charles Figley talks about that in his book and in, in Compassion Fatigue. Yes, quoted it, quoted it quite a few times in my dissertation, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, did you get through the uh, the cultural taboos? Did we? 
There's one more. Yes, let's go. The, the third one is, can I acknowledge my feelings and emotions? And our culture says, uh, have a stiff upper lip, big boys don't cry, and big girls are too emotional and they're both wrong. Can you acknowledge what you're feeling? And that's important because you're, you are feeling something. You may be frightened to acknowledge what you're feeling. You know, it may open up a whole Pandora's box. On the other hand, it if you don't acknowledge what you're feeling, you become a time bomb. And, and you know, something may happen that normally you would deal with. And what this one time when it happens, you just lose it. Like I did when I was doing that retreat. I just said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so acknowledging your feelings and the emotions that are there and, and for the, the coach or therapist to be comfortable with them. I mean, none of us have, have been raised to say, you know, it's okay to be angry. You know, did our parents uh, give us uh, rewards when we said, you know, mommy, daddy, I'm really angry. No. <laughs> I'm working on that with my, my little guys. Okay, <laughs> but typically no, right? A lot of times we weren't given that emotional, social, emotional kind of education about how to manage our emotions, how to talk about emotions, acknowledge them, feel them, move through them. Yes. So you bring up an important point as a mother who's how old are your children? Eight and six. Eight and six. Okay, so. There are times when they feel confused or they're angry, but they don't know how to express it. And so, the you know, for all the parents out there, it's okay to say, "Well, I sense you're 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 angry. Can you tell me about it?" Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really angry because Joey did this to me. Oh, well, or he stole my pencil or whatever he did, <laughs> or I have a fight with my brother. <laughs> Right. I always say anger gives us information and it its goal is injustice. It's it's speaking to us that there's some injustice. Exactly. So if we can give words to that injustice, then I think we can move through it in a way where we don't act in rage, where we don't hurt our loved ones. We don't hurt ourselves exactly. with that anger by turning it inward and you know, cooking all those stress neurochemicals like cortisol and adrenaline. So I think a lot of times for, for caregivers, they're like, well, I'm just going to stuff it. And that's equally problematic. So I think exactly, exactly. Just, just recognizing. I like piece. how you put the difference between an injustice done to you and, 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 ver and just being, well, I just want to be angry and it goes into rage. Right. That we have choices. I, and often when I was thinking through the lens of my son, you know, I was talking with him actually the other day about he's getting upset with, about his, you know, little game or Pokemon cards or something and just will, you know, like start yelling and, and I, and I'm like, okay, we just, I understand you're angry. I need you. We need to come up with some choices. Like let's speak our anger, say I'm angry. Okay. I can help you more. If I know you're angry, I can help you like talk about what the thing is. If you can't like there's other choices, like get a drink of water Mm -hmm. change the mental chant, you know? So I think just, yeah. So actually 
research shows that drinking water is actually an emotional intervention. So if we drink a full glass of water, like I often tell people, drink a glass of water. It's There's science behind it <laughs> with emotional regulation. <laughs> so true story. Water break. So yeah, so I, I think we forget that we need those things as adults. So okay, your kids need that. They're They're freaking out. They're having a temper tantrum. Kids do that. Adults, it just looks differently. It just looks differently, but we need similar things. And so I just kind of communicate that to my clients and folks that I work with often that struggle with, you know, just displaying their anger in ways that aren't great for them. And that it's appropriate to have those feelings. Of course. You know, that, you know, a stiff upper lip and pull up your bootstraps doesn't work. No. Because we're human, and to be human means that we have emotions and feelings. So I'm wondering real quick if we can talk about the difference between compassion fatigue and burnout and how folks can understand that difference. Well, compassion fatigue has to do with I'm just exhausted because of what I, the work that I do I love doing. And I just came, I've just come to this point where I'm just exhausted. I'm so exhausted. I don't even know if I want to work in it anymore. I really love the work as as a nurse, as a therapist, as a pastor, as as a first responder. I really love that. But I'm I'm at a point of I just need a break. And I remember when I was working with with um, these two other directors in a program for this leadership uh, group that I would often say, I, I need a break. And they would say, oh, no, we, there's too much to do. You can't take that day off. And I listened to them instead of listening you know, to myself. And so compassion fatigue simply is recognizing that you're exhausted with something that you love to do. Mm. And it gets very confused with burnout. And, and Burnout has to deal with, with you're in a situation that you feel you're trapped and you can't get out of it. You're in, a, in an organization that doesn't recognize you as a person. Or as, as a caregiver with a spouse or child, you may, you may close off to the reality of of listening and, and taking care of, of yourself. So you feel this huge mountain you have to climb every day. And so that mountain just gets worse and worse and worse. And I, I use the mythological figure of Sisyphus, you know, going up, going up the hill with a rock and then all of a sudden going down again. You're constantly up and down, constantly sliding. And the human factors. Now, personally, you you don't recognize your own strengths and gifts. And when I do coaching, I always focus on what's the strengths you feel? What's the gifts you have? What are the talents you have? They they can help you make choices to heal. Mm -hmm. And so that's individually. But if you're working in in a organization that doesn't accept your talents, and you're constantly pushing and pushing and pushing, you will come to burnout. And that's, again, that's what happened to me because the, the, the group that hired the three of us wanted to deal with leadership and, 
half the group said okay and the other half didn't. So there was this constant, constant conflict. And I, I just never was, I never felt rewarded in as a person in the gifts I was giving. And so that's, that's what, that's what happens with burnout. And it, yeah. it, it could become, excuse me, <clears throat> it could become so complicated, but I found out this simpler, simple formula makes it, makes it understandable. Compassion fatigue has to do with something you like. Um, burnout has to do with you, something you like, but it's not being accepted. And, and it, by yourself or in the organization. And so you're constantly hitting your head against the wall. Now, some of us like pain <laughs> and we keep on hitting our head against the wall. So from a coaching perspective, you want to say, do you like hitting your head against that wall? Well, not really. Okay, can we look at some choices we have here? Now, that may take time for the person to realize that they're tired of hitting their head against the wall. But anyway. Yeah, I find a lot of people can't see it. You know, they they just can't find a way out a lot of times. They don't so, see, like, there's no other way. I just have to do it this way. Because I'm the default person in the home. I'm the default. I'm the partner. I'm the parent. So I have to do this. And that means that I do everything. And so I think it's also opening curiosity. Okay, well, what else can you do? I agree. Yeah. Agree. So I'm mindful of our time. We should start wrapping up this conversation. But I'm wondering if you can give some resources to my audience, uh, some of whom may may either have a caregiver in their life or they are a caregiver themselves and need some more support. Well, the resources I have are my book, The the Soul of Caregiving, A a Caregiver's Guide to Healing and Transformation. It's it's a book. It's not a how-to-do book, but it's a book that allows you to focus on your own experience. And when you focus on your own experience, you get insight, and that insight can help you answer some questions. So reflection is a big Tool. I wouldn't say it's a tool. It's more of a, a a human experience that can help you. So it may be only five minutes a day. You know, can I just reflect on the day? Well, it's driving me crazy. Okay, it's driving me crazy. So you acknowledge you you acknowledge that. And maybe fifteen minutes you take that you can listen to music, take a walk, read scripture something that you can allow yourself to reflect on the experience. And that's what happens with most caregivers. We go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis without the reflection. Mm-hmm. So I would I would uh, uh, suggest any books you have that can help you reflect. Um, there's a book called The Art of Reflection. Uh, it talks about the two extremes of, of uh, one um, – where you're only thinking from your left brain and the other that you're only thinking from your right brain, you know, emotion versus logos. And the bottom line is, you know, we think together, you have to integrate both, both aspects of, of, of the brain. And so 
that's one. And and the other one I mentioned was Aaron Smith, the, the call to caregiving, or when caregiving calls. Is mm-hmm. a, uh, Aaron Bright, rather, is, is a wonderful resource. Great. And so, Dr. Smink, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about working with you? or And do you take on clients for caregiving or I do. offer support for those who are in a caregiving role? I do. And the easiest way is to go to my website, which is, you know, http um, colon uh, slash slash soulofcaregiving.com. And I'll put that link in the show notes so people can can grab that link. You'll see it in the show notes when this airs. That'll be that'll be great. And they could contact me and we could talk. You know, the consultation is free. Then we if they're interested in long-term coaching, then we could talk about that. Or they may want me to speak to their the to their particular organization that they involved that they're involved in. I do Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Great. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Uh, I use, oh, I forgot my light lightning round, my fast, my, my closing round. So usually I ask every guest, what is your favorite holiday or holiday food and why? Well, I would think of Christmas because I have, I have wonderful uh, experiences of, of my my background is Slovak in, in English, German, and French, but the Slovak part is my mother, and we have all these festive um, meals. We would make uh, cabbage cake. We would make uh, mushroom soup. We would make uh, some type of, of fish. I mean, the Italians have, I think, seven types of fish on, on Christmas Eve. Do they really? I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of the tradition. Uh-huh. So in the Slovak, oh, we would have pierogies, you know, with lekwar or cottage cheese or potatoes. Pierogies? Uh, I'm saying it like the American version yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's, and, you know, that's that's the Ameri- American way of, uh, or the Slovak way of saying uh, uh, ravioli. <laughs> ravioli, yeah. So yeah. You would have maybe multiple types of fillings, potato, exactly, or exactly. Yeah, those so are. I have fond, fond memories of of that, and, and then continuing that tradition, you know, with with my family and also with um, my relatives that always ask me for the recipes, and so um, awesome. Yeah, so I could I could taste the mushroom soup. It's just mushrooms and and, and onions and butter and sauerkraut. Juice and uh, some some um, thickening, but it's the die for and some noodles. Mm, sounds great. And in closing, what is one tip that you would offer a TBI survivor or caregiver? Your choice. I would offer them that it's possible to experience joy and hope. And it, it's it's possible, and with the right coaching and or support, you will discover that um, you can be the person that you want to be. In fact, this particular situation may make you a better person. 
Yeah. I've often often asked caregivers, do you feel you're a better person because of this experience? And they all say yes. But what they don't do is reflect on those experiences that helps them deal with compassion, fatigue, and burnout. Yeah, interesting. That is wonderful. I think people are going to want to reach out to you. So I'll conclude all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Smink. It's been great happy having you on the program today. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jan. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 